Well, early in the 19th century, Captain Meriwether Lewis and Lieutenant William Clark were commissioned by President Thomas Jefferson to explore the newly acquired Louisiana Purchase and Northwest Territory of North America. Their mission was to find and map a navigable water route across the continent to the Pacific Ocean, the so-called Northwest Passage. Jefferson knew that finding this route was essential to the economic future of the nation and to American sovereignty over the territory. So in May of 1804, Lewis and Clark and their Corps of Discovery set out on their journey. Their plan was to canoe up the Missouri River, following it all the way to its headwaters high in the Rocky Mountains. They would carry their canoes across the divide, find the Columbia River, and then ride that river down to the Pacific Ocean. Now that mission, that plan, was based on two very commonly held beliefs at the time. One, that there was a navigable water route to the Pacific Ocean, and two, that the western half of the continent looked like the eastern half of the continent, with a gradual sloping plain leading from the mountains and waterways down to the ocean. Well, after 15 months of travel, after a harsh winter, after losing one of their crew members, they finally found their way to the headwaters of the Missouri, high in the Rocky Mountains. And one day, Captain, Captain Lewis was hiking up to scout out the rest of the journey, and as he hiked up to the Continental Divide, he was exuberant. All they had to do now was carry their canoes over the Divide, find the Columbia, and ride the current all the way down to the Pacific Ocean. And in the words of one historian, they could not have been more disappointed. Instead of that gradual sloping plain, Lewis found himself looking at the most terrible mountains I have ever beheld. And of course, he was looking at the rugged peaks of the Rocky Mountains, stretching out as far as the eye could see. And in that moment, he realized that everything they had previously believed was wrong. There was no water route to the Pacific Ocean, and the western half of the continent looked nothing like the eastern half of the continent. And that discovery, that rude awakening, changed everything for Lewis and Clark and their core of discovery. Now, the mission remained the same, to find a route to the Pacific Ocean, but their method, their approach, would have to change dramatically. They were going to have to innovate. They were going to have to adapt. Most importantly, they were going to have to ditch the canoes and become mountaineers. Now, that story is told by a pastor and author named Todd Bolsinger out on the West Coast. And Bolslinger believes that the church in America finds itself at a similar moment here in these early years of the 21st century. For decades now, we have been doing ministry in a particular way, believing that as long as we build, build better churches and hold exciting services and run great programs, that we'll continue to reach people for Christ and advance his kingdom in the world. But having crossed over into this 21st century, we find ourselves looking at an entirely different terrain. We have our own set of terrible mountains that we're looking at. The world in front of us looks nothing like the century behind us. For instance, we see that church attendance is on the decline. In fact, it is in free fall in many mainline denominations. 
Many Catholic and mainline Protestant churches are closing all across our country and in New England in particular. We're seeing the rise of the nuns, people who claim no religious affiliation at all. We're seeing a popular and strident new atheism, a postmodern view of truth and morality where what's true and right is up to the individual to decide. We're seeing the millennial generation's disenchantment with organized religion. We're seeing more intense cultural competition for people's time, energy, and money. And we are seeing an ever more cynical view of evangelicalism and its movement. And if these things are true of America in general, they are doubly true uh, here in New England. Well, that unsettling view should be as transformative for us as it was for Lewis and Clark in the core of discovery. In Bolsinger's words, Lewis and Clark in the core of discovery were about to go off the map and into uncharted territory. They would have to change plans, give up expectations, and reframe their mission. What lay before them was nothing like what was behind them. And a similar thing is true for the church. As we try to spread the gospel, as we try to advance Christ's kingdom in this world. If we think we can keep on doing church the same ways we've been doing church, we're kidding ourselves. You can't canoe the mountains. It just doesn't work. Think for a minute about the people you know people in your neighborhood, your workplace, your school, your apartment building. How many of them woke up this morning saying, I wonder where we should go to church today? How many of them believe the Bible is a reliable source of truth that can lead to a good and happy life? How many of them believe that church is a relevant, powerful force for good in society? The cultural terrain has changed dramatically here in this 21st century. In the words of one popular blogger, too many churches are perfectly equipped to reach a world that no longer exists. So like Lewis and Clark and the core of discovery, we're going to have to reframe our mission. We're going to have to innovate. We're going to have to adapt and discover new ways of building the church and spreading good news and advancing Christ's kingdom in the world. Now, in case you're wondering what's going on here and what this is all about, every few years here at Grace, we take a pause to refresh our vision and to renew our commitment to participating in that vision with the giving of our time and talent and treasure. We do it every few years. We did it back in 2010 with something called the New Day of Grace Stewardship Campaign. Some of you may have been here for it and remember. And it was that effort that really gave birth to our multi-site vision and to our now four campuses spread out across, across the city. And then a couple of years ago, we had a generosity initiative that we called NEXT 2016. And the focus of NEXT was revitalizing our next generation ministries to children and students and strengthening our central core ministry and staff so that we're ready for whatever was next. 
And each time along the way, we have challenged ourselves to grow as givers to God's work, to take our next step on the generosity journey. Now, I don't have time to tell the whole story of the past couple of years, but some remarkable things have happened. Hundreds and hundreds of people have taken steps of of generosity as givers, become new givers, regular givers, more generous givers. Hundreds of people have done that. We see four vibrant campuses flourishing and offering uh, the ministry of Christ right now today, this morning. Our kids' town, our student ministries are flourishing across all of those campuses. We have mentored nearly 30 young adults through a new mentoring internship program. We started a new ministry to the 50-plus crowd called Epic, helping them discover how to use their their wisdom and experience uh, for this second half of their lives. We're reaching tens of thousands of people through social media and through digital ministry. And we formed a strategic partnership with Christ Church of Amherst, New Hampshire. Great things. So you might remember back in December, our first Sunday of Advent, if I remember, uh, we began praying for one. Praying for one person to reach out to each day. Praying for one person we might invite to a Christmas service. And if you remember, I challenged us to pray that we would have at least one more person this Christmas Eve than last Christmas Eve. Well, the numbers are in. And a year or so ago, Christmas Eve 2015, we had 7,248 people with us, a remarkable number of people. This past Christmas Eve, we had 7,276 people here for Christmas Eve. It was our largest Christmas outreach ever. And the truth is, that's about the maximum number of people we can actually accommodate, given our current number of locations and services. So some remarkable things have happened. God is moving in and through the life of Grace Chapel and we feel ready for whatever is in store next. So that's what we'd like to share with you this month. A fresh vision of what we sense God leading us to in the days to come. So for these next few Sundays, we'll do some vision casting and talk about the life and work of the church and our region. We'll do some teaching on stewardship and giving and financial freedom and generosity. We're going to tell some great stories, life-changing stories that come from all of our campuses. You'll be receiving a brochure in the mail that describes the vision a little more completely and gives you some detail that you can be thinking about. This Friday night, we're going to gather for a one-church night of worship. All our campuses coming here in Lexington to create some space for the Lord to meet us personally and collectively. And on the last Sunday of the month, January 29th, we're going to have a great sacred moment in all of our services where we have a chance to respond to God's leading and say yes to what he might be asking us to do in the years to come. So that's where we're headed. It's going to be a great month. I hope you do everything you can to be here or to keep up these next few Sundays. But today, as we get started, I'd like to share with you uh, the, the foundation of this vision And I'd like to take you to a familiar passage of Scripture, one that I have taught and studied many, many times over the years, one that you've probably heard more than enough sermons about before. But this passage, when I read it a few months ago, hit me like a bucket of cold water in the face (laughs) and got my attention like never before. So let me in a few minutes try to capture it for you. We often refer to it as the Great Commission. And it's found in Matthew chapter 28. 
Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Now these are some of Jesus' final words to his disciples before leaving them and returning to heaven. Now final words are really important. You think carefully about the last thing you're going to say to someone before you or they leave. And so we have to believe that Jesus thought very carefully about these last words he would leave with his disciples. And he begins by reminding them of his power and authority. He has healed every imaginable kind of disease and injury. He has delivered people from all kinds of darkness. He has commanded the forces of nature. He's confounded the religious authorities. He has conquered death and the grave. He is in charge. He can say and do whatever he wants. And what he wants to say is go, go. What he wants to do is to send his followers out into the world to point people towards him and show them his way of living. Go, he says, and make disciples. Those are the words he chose to leave them with and to leave us with, knowing we'd be following in their footsteps these many years later. Now think for a minute about what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, all authority has been given to me, therefore have a worship service. He doesn't say, all authority has been given to me, therefore have a Bible study. Or, therefore, have a prayer meeting. Therefore, form a committee. Therefore, have a potluck dinner. <laughs> now, he, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. And he fully expected his church to be doing all those things. He even could foresee the green bean casseroles. I mean, he knew the whole thing would happen. <laughs> but the word he wanted to leave them with the word he wanted them and us to remember 2,000 years later was go. Go and make disciples. Now scholars make it very clear there is only one command in, this, in all these words here. And the one command, the one imperative is make disciples. In fact, it's one word in the Greek language. But they also agree that the word go goes with make disciples. Go and make disciples by leading people to faith in Christ, baptizing them, and then by training them in a Jesus way of living, a new way of living. So Jesus is making it very clear. He is leaving behind a movement, not an institution. He doesn't want his followers hunkering down, hiding out, hanging on till he comes back again. He wants them and us to hit the road and win new followers and begin to carry on his work in the world. Jesus knew that people were never going to come to him on their own. Remember, this is an outlaw religion. 
The founder, Jesus, has been rejected by the population. He's been denounced by religious leaders. He's been publicly executed by the government. He's a failure. He's a loser. He's dead. Who's going to come follow someone like that? We think we have a tough environment to do ministry in. It was nothing like this. There were only about a hundred or so of people who were still following him, and some of them even doubted. Jesus knew no one was going to become his follower on their own. The disciples were going to have to go. Now, I know this is fairly familiar stuff for many of us, but here's why this was an aha moment for me a few months ago. For decades now, the functional word in church ministry has been come. Come to church. Come to youth group. Come to a Bible study. Come to Alpha. Come and see. Come and hear. Come and experience. Now, as long as there was this general sense out there that church was a good thing and that the Bible had something important to say and that there really was a heaven and hell to reckon with, that come and see approach worked very, pretty well. But those days are over. You can't canoe the mountains. And we can't keep on doing church the same old way, expecting people to just show up. And so suddenly I heard the words of Jesus again. Go. Go and find people. Go and point people to me. Go and show people what my kingdom is all about. And that's the foundational shift at the heart of this fresh vision God is putting on our hearts. The shift from a come and see church to a go and do church. From come and see to go and do. From an attractional approach to a missional approach. Our ministries, our messages, our prayers... Our hearts need to be outwardly focused, engaging to people who are far from God and church and faith. Now, before anyone panics, we're not going to stop having worship services. <laughs> we're not going to stop having Bible studies. We're not even going to stop having potluck dinners. We don't want you to stop inviting people to church. Lewis and Clark may have ditched their canoes at the Columbia at the head of the Missouri River, but they're going to have to build them again when they found the Columbia River. So we're not going to ditch the come and see approach. It has worked very well for Grace Chapel over the years. We just need to get better and better at it. It's just that in this new world in which we find ourselves, if we don't combine come and see with go and do, in fact, if we don't lead with go and do, no one's going to come and see. That may actually be tweetable. <laughs> right? If we don't go and do, nobody's going to come and see. Because we're not even on the radar screen. And so we have to win visibility and win credibility by going and living lives of beauty and compassion and grace and goodness and justice. We're going to have to go. And, and, and that vision needs to be embraced by everybody who calls Grace Chapel home. 
Think for a minute about all the places you go in the course of a week. You go to school, you go to work, you go to the mall, you go to practice, you go to gym, go to the gym, you go to yoga, you go to the nail salon, you go to the barber, you go to the doctor, you go skiing or fishing or bowling or bowling? I don't know. You go on vacation. We spend the better part of our lives going places. And Jesus knew that even thousands of years ago. And so he tells us, as we go, look for opportunities to point people to me, to show them what the kingdom looks like. In fact, the word go here is better translated as you go. So Jesus isn't adding yet another thing for us to go to. We have enough places to go already. He's simply saying, as you go, go with a sense of mission. And remember, this is a grassroots movement that Jesus is launching here. This is for ordinary people, not religious professionals. He left it in the hands of tax collectors and fishermen, not priests and rabbis and pastors. He left it in the hands of ordinary people. Now, unfortunately, we have too often understood this passage as a missionary passage. As if it's for a few elite Christ followers who get a special call from God to leave their lives behind and go to some far away or some exotic place and do God's work. Now, certainly, there is a global and cross-cultural dimension to this. And some people do receive a special call from God to vocationally pursue that kind of a life. But this is a mission passage before it's a missionary passage. It's about God's call on the life of all Christ followers to go to the everyday people and places of our lives, being and bringing good news. So I think maybe we should be calling it the Great Go Mission rather than the Great Commission. So here's how we are reframing our vision and mission as a church. We're saying that it's to change the spiritual landscape of greater Boston and beyond by making and mobilizing more disciples for Jesus Christ. To change the spiritual landscape of greater Boston by making and mobilizing more disciples for Jesus Christ. And I want you to see, our vision, it's not just about a bigger and better grace chapel. I mean, certainly we'd like to see the church grow and become more healthy and more effective, but it's bigger than that. It's about seeing our communities, seeing our city, see places in the world become changed by the power and presence of the gospel. We're hoping that here in greater Boston, we'll see more people finding their way to gospel preaching churches. We're hoping we'll find more believers engaged in the life of their church, growing in their faith. We hope we'll see more churches and more vibrant, growing, effective churches. We hope we see more unity across the body of Christ, across racial and denominational and geographical barriers. We want to see more justice and more beauty and more compassion in our city and in our world. What if instead of being known as a spiritual graveyard where churches die, what if Boston became known as a spiritual greenhouse where churches thrive. That's what we mean about seeing the spiritual landscape changed. 
So you can see we're coming right back to the founding vision of Jesus, making more disciples. We're just adding one more word in there to make it more relevant to our particular time and place in history. And that's the word mobilizing, mobilizing. So our vision isn't just to, to make more disciples, leading people to faith in Christ, as important as that is. We then want to equip those believers to go back out into their world and bring the good news with them to the people and places they live and work. So we want to see more people engaged in the life of the church, but then more people equipped to go out. We want to see more people in the seats on Sunday and more people in the streets on Monday. In other words, we want to help every person at Grace Chapel find their go. We want to help you find your go, your unique contribution to the mission of God in greater Boston and beyond right now in 2017. Now, the only problem with making and mobilizing more disciples for Jesus Christ is that it's pretty churchy. I mean, it's a mouthful. Chances are, disciple-making didn't come up at your lunch table this past week at school or work. So we need a way of saying this that's more outward-facing, that doesn't sound so churchy. And so we're framing it this way, that we're all about discovering life with God for the good of the world. Discovering life with God for the good of the world. Discovering life with God is simply another way of talking about making disciples, leading people into a daily growing relationship with Christ. And for the good of the world is simply about mobilizing disciples, helping people live their lives and do their work in a way that's good for the world and the kingdom. So that's a lot of talk and explanation, and you've done a great job hanging in there through it. Well, we wanted to try to communicate this a little more personally and a little more visually. So we've created a little video that I think tries to communicate the idea. So let's look at the screens for a few minutes and then I'll come back and wrap things up. Greater Boston is home to over four and a half million people. 85% of those people don't attend church regularly and 30% never attend church which means that over 1.5 million people in Greater Boston never attend church at all. And yet, God is at work in Greater Boston, reaching people. Through Grace Chapel and other gospel teaching churches and ministries, people are discovering life with God. Here at Grace, we're experiencing revitalized next generation ministry and thousands of all ages are attending worship and connecting through life communities, changing the spiritual landscape of Greater Boston. It's a bold, epic vision. Faith doesn't just offer hope, meaning, and purpose for individual lives. It changes communities. It can change a region, and it can change the world. More people growing in faith. More people influencing their workplaces, their neighborhoods, and their schools. More justice. More unity. More people going to church, and more going from church. Ask yourself this question. How likely is it that my neighbor, coworker, or classmate will spontaneously decide on their own to go to church? They might be thinking, I should join a gym. But they probably aren't thinking, I really should join a community of Christ followers. 
Jesus knew that it was up to the disciples to go and make more disciples to carry the message of life-saving grace to the world full of people he died for. A world that is better in every way when more people are living as he taught us to. Today, that need is as urgent as ever, and meeting it starts with you. It starts by going. Each of us are gifted with unique talents and abilities that can be used by God to reach people right here in Greater Boston and beyond. We all have different ways of finding our go. Let's listen to the stories of a few people who found theirs. I believe that even if you don't have everything, you can be a light for somebody else. So I help these children who are mostly low-income families. I take the children out and try to make them part of the community. And if I give the light, I feel like I'm drinking. I feel fulfilled. Early in the conversation about the Wilmington campus, we knew that launching this campus was really important because it was the first campus that we were launching and we wanted to do it really well. And we were a little nervous and excited at the same time. The benefits of being part of a local campus is meeting um, some of your neighbors in the local grocery store or farm stand. We started praying for the folks that we knew we're going to call Grace Chapel their home church. And now we know those people. I can't get over how many young families we have here every week. It's um, little kids running through the lobby and it's just the next generation is really benefiting from um, the efforts. The Wilmington campus is blessed because of what has happened uh, over the last two years. When I came up on stage that first Sunday, I thought, oh my gosh, this is a huge church for New England, for the East Coast. I was like, this is pretty insane. But the minute I started singing, it was like nothing else mattered. I felt this overwhelming sense of joy and compassion and this new passion that I had. It doesn't matter how well I perform because that's not the reason why I do it. The reason why I do it is to serve our Lord. I grew up in First Baptist Church of Foxborough. You can imagine our distress as we saw the congregation dwindle down to about 12 people. It's just been really exciting to have people come in and say, yes, we want to be part of Grace Chapel in Foxborough, and yes, we, we're, we're willing to do whatever we need to, we're willing to paint, we will just do whatever needs to be done to see this church established. One of the things I got involved in early on in the church is the Alpha Course. We're all uh, on this journey together at different places. All I want to do is to participate more and give uh, further, uh, increase my trust uh, and to honor God with what he's given me. And I feel that it's only appropriate to multiply that uh, for his glory and that others would as well experience it in their lives. Uh, and it's, it's um, a great image to think that one light becomes a thousand lights. Well, I hope you're beginning to get the idea. A growing network of campuses and locations scattered across the region and a growing number of people engaged and equipped to live lives of mission and impact. That's what the next couple of years are all about. Learning how to become a go-and-do people. And like Lewis and Clark, we're going to have to innovate. We're going to have to adapt. 
You might have heard, uh, you did hear on the video, Kurt and Sharon talk about the incredible growth and vitality on the Wilmington campus. They are packed out in Wilmington. There's no more room for people. We're actually stifling the growth of that campus because there's not enough space. And so we'd like to make more space for more people to be engaged and equipped there in Wilmington in this next year or two or three. You heard from Valerie down in Foxborough describe the great hunger and need for a vibrant, growing church in that, in that community. And so, Lord willing, we want to launch that Foxborough campus this year. You heard Kelly talk about her passion for serving the Lord. Kelly grew up right here in our church, a product of all the ministries here at Grace Chapel. And all the things that happen here from week to week, Kids Town and student ministries and adult discipleship and fire and alpha and celebrate recovery and men's and women's ministries and social justice and multiculturalism and worship arts, all those things that, that form us as Christ's people and then send us out into the world. All of those things, both ongoing ministries and new opportunities, they all need funding. And so, yeah, in the weeks to come, we're going to talk a little bit about the part that each of us might play in allowing these things to become a reality and asking God to show us the part we would play in making these things come to life again. So I hope you'll be here every Sunday this month. If you can't be here, I hope you'll catch up online. And can I tell you something honestly? I have... I've led churches through seasons like this many, many times over the years. And every time, they are seasons of great growth and discovery and transformation of our hearts individually and of our community. So can I encourage you, just don't miss. Join us for the worship night this Friday if that's at all possible for you. Look forward to getting that brochure in the mail and spend a little time with it, understanding what's happening here. Most importantly, pray. Ask God to show you your go. What's your unique contribution to the work that God's doing in and through Grace Chapel now and in the years to come? Now, as you can imagine, I've, I've had these things on my mind for a while now, quite a few months. And to be honest, they... They keep me awake at night sometimes. Wondering how in the world we're going to communicate this idea to so many people and places. Wondering if where we're going to find the finances to make all these things possible. Wondering if it's really actually possible to change the spiritual landscape of greater Boston. And so there was a night or this earlier this week when I found myself awake and just unable to get these things off my mind. So I went downstairs to the living room to, to try to pray it out for a while. And as I did, I, I began to imagine what would happen? What would happen if every child at Grace Chapel were to learn from an early age that God loves them just as they are? and made them to do something special in this world? What if every student at Grace Chapel went off to their middle school or high school or grade school or a university campus and went off there every day, not just trying to survive as a Christ follower, but believing they could actually make a difference there in their school, on their team, in their town? What if every young adult 
as they launched their career, launched it with an eye not just to making money and being successful, but with an eye to serving God through their work, believing that God placed them in an industry or a field of endeavor to, to do good in the world and to advance his kingdom. What if every married couple at Grace Chapel believed that God brought them together to love and serve each other so passionately and so sacrificially that they would be showing the world how much Christ loves us? What if every family at Grace Chapel came to believe that God placed them in their home, in their neighborhood, their apartment with a particular mission, particular people that they could reach out to that nobody else could reach out to? What if every empty nester and retiree at Grace Chapel took this season of their lives not to take a back seat, but to dedicate themselves fully to the Lord's work and invest in the next generation? What if every Sunday, 4,000, 5,000, 10,000 people gathered at Grace Chapel campuses and locations to find healing and forgiveness and, and love and light? And what if every Monday morning, those same 4,000, 5,000, 10,000 scattered all over the region to their workplaces and neighborhoods to share that light with other people? What would happen? The spiritual landscape of our city would begin to change. There would be more beauty. There would be more kindness. There would be more justice. There would be more truth. There would be more wonder. There would be more purpose. Friends, that's a vision worth being woken up for in the middle of the night. That's the vision worth our very best in the years to come. That's a vision worth giving my time, energy, and talent to, perhaps more generously and joyfully than ever before. And I hope and pray you will feel the same way as well. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for calling us together this morning on the threshold of a new year and a new season. Thank you that you have a word to speak into our lives at this particular time and place. Thank you that thousands of years ago, Jesus knew the words we would need to hear, words that would energize and direct us and breathe, breathe life into our own lives and into our church and into the community and city and world. So Lord, we do invite you to speak to us individually and collectively over these next few weeks. We thank you for the remarkable role that Grace Chapel has played in your work here in this region for so many, many years. We pray that we might continue to be just as joyful, just as generous, just as missional as you would have us to be. So we look forward to it, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.